When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Everybody, welcome back to the Turn the Jets podcast. I'm your host, Will Parkinson at WillPaw11 on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. Joined by a special guest today, PFF Zone, Doug Todd, formerly of Ness. And so we got a little Patriots Jets magic going on. Doug, how are you doing today? Doing well. How are you doing, Will? I'm good. I'm excited for uh, you know, two days away now from uh from Jets Patriots home opener. Haven't been able to be in uh MetLife myself in uh, like two years now. So I'm pretty <laughs> excited to get out there early and, and uh you know, crush a few beers, have a few burgers before I get into uh before I get into MetLife. Week one, uh, obviously in the books, very exciting games. We got that that Raiders uh, Ravens game that really kind of capped off a great week of uh, a week of NFL football. Is there anything you really took away from week one, or was there anything that really stood out to you positively or negatively from uh, some teams that maybe you were expecting a lot out of or surprised you a little bit? Yeah, I'd say that you know sticking with the AFC East division, actually, just the Bills. I expected them to be much better in that game. I wouldn't say that it's necessarily worth panicking over their performance. Um, you know, losing to the Steelers. But there were definitely some areas where there was some concern with the Bills. But I think most importantly, at least for Bills fans, one of those areas of concern for me was not Josh Allen. I don't think that he was necessarily the problem in that game. Uh, Offensive line was pretty bad. The Steelers defense was incredible in that game, which I think was the biggest factor. Uh, But, you know, them losing was definitely something that that raised my eyebrows a little bit. Tennessee Titans losing as well. Uh, So bad to the Cardinals was another one. But I think that, you know, those types of things happen in week one. So um, it's just, it's kind of, hold on one second. Sorry. Uh, Olivia, you got to go downstairs. Okay. Okay. Thank you. I'll I'll eat dinner after I'm done with this. Okay. You got to go downstairs. Sweetie, go downstairs. Sorry about that. <laughs> Wife's not, not doing a good enough job corralling the floor. No, no, you're good. No worries. No worries. That's why I, I, had, a, I had an inclination. You know, I just had to let you know I Seriously. could edit it out. Um, all right. I'll, I'll kick it off just from uh, – uh, I'll count down from three and do the Titans thing again real quick. Three, two, one. Also, the Titans just losing so badly to the Cardinals. I think that those are just those things that sometimes happen in week one. And you, you'll look back, you know, in 15 weeks or something and say like, wow, I can't believe that happened. But these teams are now, you know, playoff bound or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, it's interesting from like a Jets perspective and the Titans a little bit. You look at some of those teams, the Ravens, um, teams that experience injuries, even the Colts that, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they got guys back or we kind of under every do this every year even like just from a Jets perspective with Quinn Williams you know and Elijah Vera Tucker and Elijah Moore all didn't have any preseason reps and then right. collectively all you know had a few moments Quinn and Vera Tucker but overall looked really bad from like what you expect right or um you look at you know the Colts and you think oh all these guys are coming back they had a tough you know preseason and Seattle kind of ran them off the field and not even from like a from a physicality standpoint too not just um you know Russell being Russell so 
you know, I, I agree with you. Tennessee was a little weird. Arizona flying cross country and then the Titans to lose by like four or five touchdowns, essentially. And like that game was over before it started. The craziest stat of the entire weekend to me was the Titans were like the best play action team the entire league last year. Yeah. And then they think they went one for two on play action, like two full play action plays. I don't know. That to me is going to have to get fixed. I guess maybe I understood the uh, Arthur Smith side of the, uh, of the coin there with the play calling. That was definitely interesting. That raised some red flags. Also with the Bills as well. I think that uh, Josh Allen only had 17.7 snaps in play action. That was down from something like 34, 35% from last season. So I, I don't know. I don't know why teams kind of strayed away from that. I think obviously one big thing is that those teams were in the lead so much last season uh, and they were able to use play action a lot more uh, in these games. They were trailing, so they strayed away from it. But I mean, I think that the, the stats have kind of shown that you can probably still use play action, even though you're trailing, but offensive coordinators might be a little bit more hesitant to do that in those situations. Yeah. And then you get to look at the learning experiences from a just perspective. The first half probably couldn't have gone any worse. Um, right. The play calling was really bad. It felt like they kind of got punched in the face and the Mike Tyson one that always gets overblown. Oh, you like how you react. Right. They didn't react well. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, second yeah. half was obviously a bigger improvement. You know, Jets going to, you know, Pats this week. It's an exciting game. I think it's a game that's probably a little closer than people are. Like the spread keeps going up and up. I think it started opening at three and a half. It's maybe at five and a half, six mm -hmm. now. And it feels like everyone's like expecting the Patriots to hammer the Jets, which based off recent history and the, the ghost game and, you know, all that stuff, I guess it makes a lot of sense. What are your kind of initial impressions of, you know, going to this week of how this game kind of plays out? Do you feel like it's as big of a, an advantage for New England as it's kind of being portrayed in Vegas? Or do you feel like the game's a little closer maybe than uh, people are giving it credit for? It's so tough to say because I had pretty high expectations for the Patriots coming into the season. Um, and then they didn't necessarily live up to them all, all the way against Miami. But that's another thing where it's like, yeah, it's week one. These guys hadn't really played that many snaps together. Uh, lots of training camp reps, but not a ton in the preseason. So we could be looking at a different Patriots team even this week than we saw in week one, but uh, I expected them to beat the dolphins. That obviously didn't happen. A pretty costly fumble at the end there, uh, turn the tables, but I'd say that the Patriots are a more talented team than the jets, uh, but they didn't necessarily show that completely in week one against the dolphins. I think that I expected the Patriots front seven to be a lot better than they were against the Dolphins. Uh, Dante Hightower didn't make quite as big of an impact as I was expecting. Interior defensive line didn't have the best game in that against Miami. So those things kind of have to be fixed. Uh, and then there are two glaring, I guess, omissions from the Patriots roster right now. Stephon Gilmore at cornerback. You've got Jalen Mills filling in for him. And that's, you know, not a, a reasonable fill-in for someone like Stephon Gilmore. And then also Trent Brown at right tackle. We don't really know what his status will be at this point. Uh, for week two against the Jets, but he has missed practice on Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so you've either got Durant, the, the tackle that they traded uh, from the Chiefs filling in for right at right tackle. Maybe you get Justin Haran in there. One other possibility would be to kick Michael Onwenu out to right tackle where, where he played a lot of last season, then putting Ted Karras in at guard. I think that's probably the best move they could do at this point, since Onwenu was really good at tackle last season and uh, Karras is their best backup offensive lineman but that's not what they showed in practice at least while media was there today at the same time it's bill belichick he's not going to show his hand so we'll see exactly what happens there uh but yeah those are the two big uh you know i guess like i said omissions from the patriots roster right now is uh brown and gilmore yeah something that was interesting today like knowing gilmore is out and probably obviously lafleur watches the tape of the patriots right after and, and whatever 
he was like, Elijah Moore is going to have a big game this week. And I was thinking to myself, like, he must have just watched Jalen Mills' film from this week and gone, <laughs> okay, well, like, we'll get this guy involved. Because now I was looking through some of the PFF grades for the Patriots defense, and I was honestly, you know, there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot of shit talks from J.C. Jackson about Tua, and there was a lot of stuff, you know, kind of there. And the Patriots defense, obviously, Bill was exceptional at his job, and I know they've got the pencil backwards hat guy back in the building. But, um, you know, the Patriots defense got a lot of talent, you know, as a collective group. And I thought they would have graded out better playing against a, a Tua-led offense that, you know, obviously didn't put up a lot of points. Um was there any concern from you? Like, is it rust a little bit? I know CJ Mosley also graded up. I, I actually thought CJ Mosley played a lot better than his grade, um, but both Mosley and Hightower opting out last year and they're both guys that are really well-known players and both graded pretty horrible. I mean, they were like 83rd and 84th of inside linebackers in the whole league. So is there any concern there? You think that's just mostly rust from both of them that, you know, it's 12 months without football or 24 months for lack of a better term, I guess. It's so tough to say. I'd say that there might be a little bit more concern for Hightower just because he's been playing for so long. He's been kind of banged up throughout his career. Um, he told us before the season that, you know, he actually trimmed down a little bit um, in the offseason, wasn't working so heavily, lifting heavy weights. He was working on his Peloton on the offseason. Uh, so you take a guy who's older, takes a season off, comes in looking a little bit different as well. Maybe it's not that big of a surprise that, you know, at least in week one, he didn't play up to his usual standards. I think you'll figure it out. So much of the Patriots defense, I, I hate to discredit the players here, but so much of the Patriots defense is Bill Belichick's scheme, but also literally knowing what you're doing, like no, doing your job as much as that's a cliche in New England is half the battle. And that's why guys can play in New England until they're, you know, 33, 34 years old, like Devin McCourty still at a high level. So I think that some of it might've just been kind of mental rust for Dante Hightower. And once it's cleared up, I think he'll be playing better. I think that in general, it's probably just going to take a few weeks for guys like CJ Mosley and for guys like Dante Hightower uh, to get back to the standard that they used to play at. Yeah, it's interesting you just mentioned the do your job part because I know um, that's something Robert Sala has been like preaching all camp. It's just been like they're, they're a group that you look at the Niners group last year, obviously with all the injuries, Bosa, Buckner, Lee, is all these different things. Yeah. And they're still able to perform. And then you look at the way the Jets have, um, you know, kind of started out. Obviously, Sam Donald isn't known for pushing the ball down the field, although he burned them once. But generally speaking, other than Christian McCaffrey, I thought the defense did a great job. And I'm not sure who any, how anybody's going to contain um McCaffrey at this point you know he's unless he gets hurt he's to me the most explosive back him and Kamara in the league so um you know from the Jets offense perspective the offensive line struggled obviously grade wise film wise the whole nine yards communication every single way but there isn't like a huge lack of talent there it's I think it's just they didn't play together all preseason mm-hmm. Beckton being hurt obviously sucks for a million reasons just from a, a fan perspective from covering the game it doesn't matter it's still exciting to watch the guy play how concerned should Jets fans be um, you know, about the offensive line? Do you think there's a, a good improvement that can be made this week and, and you know, Wilson won't get hit as much? Or is it like hold your breath every time he drops back because he might get crushed? I hate, to, I hate to be too negative, but I think that losing Becton kind of almost puts a reset on anything that they could have built off of last week. Um, and I think that until you get him back, obviously it's a, it's an unfortunate situation where you kind of have to spend 
the season until he gets back saying, all right, well, they can be better. They can be better than this. Like we've got hope down the road, but that doesn't really do you a lot of good in the interim. So I think that you'll see them improve over the, over the next few weeks. Uh, but then the big jump will come when, when Beck can actually get back on the field. But that was the biggest thing that I noticed, you know, just while watching Zach Wilson, because obviously I wasn't able to, you know, study the game as much as I would like to live, but I actually, I watched Justin Herbert and then I watched Zach Wilson right after him. And Zach Wilson was just under siege that entire game. And I thought he played really well for what he was given. Um, but he was just put in a tough situation where he was getting beat or his offensive line was getting beat so often in that game uh, that I don't think that he was really given a fair shot. So I don't think it's going to be as ugly as the start of that game was. It will improve. Um, but like I said, until you get Becton back, it's just, it's a tough situation for the team to be in. So Belichick's not scared of George Fran at left tackle? Or... <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, yeah, he praised George Fan and Morgan Moses actually in a press conference the other day saying that those guys do have a lot of experience, but you know, he kind of has to say that. And I could see this being a pretty good game uh, for guys like Matt Judon and Kyle Van Noy, maybe Chase Winovich, Dante Hightower, uh, those edge rushers who can really get after the passer in, uh, in New England, Josh Uche as well. He had a big summer too. Yeah. In terms of Wilson, um, we'll get to Matt Jones in a second, but in terms of Wilson, obviously, like you mentioned, you got, you got to go back and watch him play. And I, I kind of had the same takeaways as you. I thought some of the big time throws he made, um, the one down the sideline to Mims is probably to me the throw of the weekend just because of the absolute abuse he took on that on that shot. And if he sets his feet, that's probably a touchdown. Yeah. Um, winning season returns at my bookie, and it's time to get in on the action. First-time players can get started by doubling your first deposit, giving you the firepower to add excitement to the games you love. College football odds boost, NFL locks of the seasons, and over $500,000 in contest prizes live on site to make winning season your best one ever with my bookie. Winning historic with a historic 18-week uh, NFL schedule, more action than ever. Uh, more, there's more action than ever before. You need a sportsbook casino that's reliable, and that you won't find a better place than my bookie. I know you're going to bet this season, like I have a little bit, and I've definitely lost a little bit already. So do the smart thing: sign up with my bookie and use our promo code TOJ to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. That's extra money credit to your account instantly just for using the promo code TOJ and making your first deposit. Bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. We'll get back to this interview with Doug Kide right now. Obviously, Jets fans are very familiar with what Belichick does to rookie quarterbacks um, over the years. It's been, you know, that's been his MO is he kind of crushes those guys. Sam Darnold is no secret to that. I was a huge Sam guy, but the, I can't defend the ghost game. That thing, that was awful. Um, that said, Tua's been able to, you know, pull out a couple of W's. And I don't know how much that's more Flores versus Tua and the whole nine yards, but should the Jets fans still expect a reasonably, like, decent performance out of Wilson, or is it kind of like this is just a – if he does well, it's great. And if not, like throw it at, throw it away type of game. Cause I know there's expectation, whether you people like it or not, it's the home opener. It's hard to like, be like, oh, whatever, who cares? It, this is another one where I, I actually really liked the way that Zach Wilson played. Like I said, I, I was very impressed by him. Um, it just seems like he's got everything. He's got the arm. He, he was actually, despite the pressure, he was moving around really well in the pocket. I think that I was wondering how that athleticism was going to translate from college when he's playing, you know, BYU's opponents to the NFL. And I actually thought it translated really well. I thought that he looked really athletic out there. Obviously not on, on the standard of like someone like Kyler Murray or something like that, but I didn't think it was that far off. I was really impressed with the way that he was moving around the pocket. That being said, the rookie struggles against Belichick 
are very real. Just look back at last year when a guy that I just mentioned, Justin Herbert, uh, played the Patriots, and that was really probably his worst game of last season, uh, and the Chargers were just lost in that game completely. So now asking Zach Wilson to play against the Belichick defense in week two, especially one that is obviously not very happy with the way that uh, that game against the Dolphins went, it it's a tough situation. I, I do think that Zach Wilson has the skills to overcome it, but obviously so does a guy like Justin Herbert. So do a lot of the rookie quarterbacks that the Patriots have faced over the last 10 years or so. Uh, so I'd say keep expectations at a minimum for Zach Wilson in this game and certainly don't freak out if he does have the, that, you know, seeing ghosts moment uh, that, that we've seen in New York before against going up against Belichick. Yeah, that's why, like, the interception he threw against Shaq Thompson, like, Shaq Thompson's a super talented guy. And I actually think the Panthers are going to be a roster that people look back at in five, six weeks, then go, this team's actually pretty good. Like, there's a lot of top-end talent. I mean, they've invested a lot of picks. And to not take Justin Fields there and take J.C. Horn, that's a whole other discussion. But from Mac Jones' perspective, I feel like the emphasis on pushing this Brady – uh, you know, Mac Jones narrative, and I'm a huge fan of Bill Simmons and I'm the podcast. And he's, I'm going to the Super Bowl and the whole nine yards. And Mac's already a blue chip guy. And I'm not sure I'm ready to go that far. Yeah. Um, I think Mac's got, he's in a really good situation. He's obviously in probably the best situation of any of the rookie quarterbacks. Um, what were your thoughts? Kind of, where are your takeaways? Because I feel like you could, I could probably, as I'm sure you can, as you worked in Boston for a long time, you could talk yourself into like, this was an awesome performance. He's a rookie and awesome be like, yeah, they still lost at home to Tua, and what am I supposed to make of this? So where where'd you kind of stand on Mac and uh, and all that? I, I thought he was the best rookie quarterback of last week, but I also think that he was probably in the most advantageous situation of those quarterbacks, just simply wasn't asked to do as much as Trevor Lawrence was, wasn't put in the predicament with the offensive line uh, that Zach Wilson was, but still he was definitely the most accurate quarterback. Uh, he had the most big-time throws uh, that the PFF charted. Um, so I think that even given maybe the the lack of same type of opportunities that guys like Trevor Will, uh, uh, Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson had, he kind of overcame that to still have a really good performance. And that's what we saw from him throughout the preseason, really. Uh, he's been extremely steady. Uh, that's He wasn't quite as steady during training camp, but you know, pretty consistent on an everyday basis. Seems to really get it. Seems to get what he, he should be doing in New England. Uh, they are putting a, a decent amount on his plate, which is obviously a good sign. And they they wouldn't have started him if they weren't willing to do that. Uh, but I do think that some of the praise that you've seen uh, from, you know, national media or even in Boston, maybe he's been a little and watch him watching film after the game as if every starting quarterback doesn't <laughs> <Right>. do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I think that, you know, people are ready to rave about uh, Mac Jones, uh, which people have been raving about Mac Jones, but I do think that he's going to be good this season. I don't think that they're going to overload him. I think they're going to rely a lot uh, on the running game. I thought Damian Harris played well until that, that fumble that really lost the game for them. Uh, but they've got a good stable of running backs. I think that they can, you know, the comparison everyone makes is to Tom Brady when he was a second year player in 2001. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
it's an obvious one, but it's a pretty accurate one. Um, you know, I, the one thing that I will say about Mac Jones, and I've, I've said this before, but I'll repeat it a little bit here, is that, you know, in the comparison to Tom Brady, Tom Brady is better than Mac Jones at a million things. But Mac Jones is actually much more athletic than Tom Brady and something that people don't maybe give him enough credit for. He's not, you know, Zach Wilson out there. He's not uh, Justin Fields or Trey Lance, but the guy can move and he can throw on the run better than someone like Tom Brady. So maybe that doesn't add a completely different element to the Patriots offense, but it does provide a little bit more as far as mobility than what Tom Brady had before. Yeah, I mean, even subtle things, I feel like in the offense, even just like two to three play action, like rollouts a game that you can just add in to get something else. And where like Tom was pretty much like, you could basically draw, there's probably still on, on uh, Gillette Stadium field, there's still probably a five-step, you know, mark of Tom <laughs> doing a three or five-step drop. But um, from, a, from a Patriots offensive perspective, they lose Joe Thune in the offseason. They add a bunch of different guys. They try to, you know, kind of looks like they're trying to recreate that tight end uh, package of, uh, you know, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. And then, you know, they've got, there's all these different personnel packages and Nelson Aguilar, I think it's actually, I think they may have overpaid, but at the same time, he's actually a nicer player than I think he's maybe given credit for. Cause that, you know, the viral meme of the guy in the apartment building and like people see that and they forget he had eight or 900 yards last year, on like 40 catches, which is really impressive. Yeah. Are you, what are you more confident about the fact that the Patriots just can, their system can kind of crank out make sure that they're going to be a stable and be able to put up points with that defense? Or is it like we could actually see a real big step from a Hunter Henry or a Johnny Smith or a Kendrick Bourne this year that can make, make Mac and elevate his game? I think that, you know, as much as they improved their defense last season with the pieces that, you know, we've mentioned and, and getting Hightower back and all those things, I think that you could see an equal jump just based on who they added this offseason on offense um, based almost solely on who they were forced to put on the field last season. I mean, Ryan Izzo was their top tight end, and I'm pretty sure he's like on a practice squad at this point somewhere. I don't know. I can't even remember where he is, but yeah, I think he got picked up on a practice squad two weeks ago. And I was like, I forgot Ryan Izzo existed. (laughs) Right. Exactly. So your place, Ryan Izzo. And then, you know, the other snaps that they were getting out of that pseudo position was Jakob Johnson, the fullback. Neither one of those guys was catching passes very often. Of course he's on the Giants practice squad. Of course, Joe Judge is just (laughs) cherry picking bad Patriots. Perfectly accurate there. But yeah, you replace them with with viable tight ends in John U. Smith and Hunter Henry. And that alone is is a big jump. And then look at the wide receivers they had last season after Julian Edelman got hurt. It was Demir Bird. It was uh, Nikhil Harry, who really struggled as a starter. Uh, Jacoby Myers, who's still probably the team's top wide receiver. But just replacing, you know, Nikhil Harry and Demir Bird with Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne, once again, viable NFL wide receivers uh, losing Joe Tooney was expected, but to basically lose Joe Tooney and then replace him with Trent Brown, who, as I mentioned earlier, is hurt right now. That's not a sit. That's not a major drop-off. It's a drop-off, but it's not a significant one. And obviously they play different positions. It forces you to put Michael on one at left guard. Then you put Trent Brown at right tackle. Uh, but when that offensive line is healthy, it should be one of the best in the NFL. Uh, I'd still say that overall the Patriots have, probably bottom third NFL, uh, you know, pass catching weapons, but it's better than being 32nd like they were last season. Yeah. And that's one of those things with Cam that we couldn't really tell if it was Cam or the weapons. And it kind of looks like it was both okay. um, to some extent. Kind of wanted to just get into last couple of things here. And then we kind of just get on the NFL real quick. Do you have a favorite Belichick story or a favorite kind of story from covering the team and being around the team that is Belichick as 
polarizing as it is from the outside or is it more just like what you see on tv and what you see you know around the building is exactly what you get i would say that for the most part like 99 percent of the time what you see on tv is what you get and like even if you see him outside of the facility like it that doesn't necessarily change like it it only changes i'd say on his terms um so he does you know in the past i'm not sure if he's still doing this as often but like he'll occasionally pull someone out after a press conference and just kind of like chat with them for a little bit longer i think that that's something that's definitely a lot more common on other teams uh where head coaches will do that but when Belichick does it, you're like, oh, wow. Like either I asked a great question or Belichick's in a really good mood. So get ripped. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. No, but like, I, I'd say that, you know, it's usually a positive thing when he does that. So uh, I had the, those kind of experiences with Belichick and that's, that's probably what like stands out the most. It, it's funny. You, you get the prerequisite Christmas card from Bill Belichick as well as a media <laughs> member, which is always, it's just like kind of a funny thing to get. It's like, sometimes it's like six days after Christmas. Sometimes it's, you know, on time. No but, rhyme or reason to the, the <laughs> right, thinking. Exactly. I mean, sometimes you don't get it. Sometimes you do, but um, yeah, I mean, I would say that really it was, 99% of the time, exactly what he wants to portray on TV. Uh, but yeah, there are those, those different moments that you get from him. And those are really the ones that stand out. There's one other comp here and then uh, we'll get to just a couple more things, but they were, I was, I was listening to a couple of different podcasts and I was just doing, you know, research a little bit more Patriot stuff. And I went back and actually watched that 2001, you know, the infamous uh, Bledsoe injury game. And a lot of the talk was with Cam and, you know, Mac Jones was, Mm -hmm. Bledsoe is almost like in the same spot where he was like a big really big name quarterback he's a personality that like had a lot of football left potentially but you know just you couldn't have Brady and Bledsoe in the building at the same time it would have been harmful to Tom do you feel like that was a little bit of the kind of the scenario with Cam because I know everyone points to the vaccine stuff and I don't really want to get political on that stuff that's a whole nother discussion but I also don't think Cam was like is like what Cam used to be anymore do you think it's more of like Cam's personality was just not beneficial to have him as a backup quarterback, or is it the other uh, variables that kind of stood out why he was end up getting cut? Uh, I reached out to a couple of people right after he was cut, uh, right after he was cut, and basically asked a couple of questions. One of which was like, "Are you surprised that he was cut? And then do you see him latching on somewhere else?" And really, the vibe I got was that no one was really surprised that Belichick made that decision. And it was like someone straight up said he's a bad backup, and and you know not to get into the, the vaccine stuff or whatever, but that was one of the reasons you, if you have to be able to count on your backup and, you know, with a starter, he can get hurt at any time, but a backup should be this very consistent person who's behind. Yeah, the you starter. never want to hear about the backup. It's like, you don't even want to know the team's no. backup. You're just like, right. they're, always, they're Chase Daniel. They're always there. They're never hurt. And they're just, they're there right. and make money. Yeah, they exist. But if suddenly, you know, the backup, like, like what happened with Cam Newton, some, at some point he becomes unavailable. Then you essentially have to keep three quarterbacks or four quarterbacks, whatever it is on your roster. So I think that, that did play a part. It wasn't the only reason they cut him, but the other one was just his personality because he was the team leader last season. He was the captain. I think that players who grew up on Cam Newton still view him as being that, you know, 2011 MV, you know, that MV, that 2011 number one overall pick that 2015 MVP. I mean, Jacoby Myers, who's not even that young of a player at this point in the NFL, he grew up going to Cam Newton passing camps and, you know, so did Sean Wade and all of these guys. And even when players were signing to new England, you heard from a, a few of them saying, 
yeah, I wanted to play with Cam Newton. So, I mean, like he still does carry some gravitas. He still has that aura. And I do think that it would have been hurtful to Mac Jones to have someone with that big personality, you know, behind him the whole time. And I think that, you know, they probably could have worked it out, but Cam Newton wasn't great last season. I think he would have been better this year with better weapons around him. But if you're looking at, you know, there's a clear drop-off from Cam Newton to Brian Hoyer or Jared Stidham, but is it enough to overcome everything else that I just mentioned to keep him on the team and potentially, um, you know, yeah, make make things kind of unfair or whatever uh, for Mac Jones. So I think that those were really the primary reasons. And then as for why he's still floating out there, I just think that it, it goes back to the same issues. He, there's a, the potential that he could become unavailable. And then also he's this guy who carries this aura and you would need a very specific starting quarterback uh, to have that not be a problem. Yeah, the one spot obviously is Washington that stands out right now where yeah. depending on how tonight and probably next week goes, I can see you know things changing. But until then, I know Thomas Davis mentioned it today on NFL Network, like, oh, like all the bad vibes with Ron were all from Dave Gettleman. And I'm not surprised in that sense. But okay. at the same time, I I just don't think teams are going to run to go figure out like what to do with Cam right now and it's week two. Um, I do just think on yeah. Washington, just real quick, I think that really it would take two elements Taylor Heineke would have to really struggle. And then also I think that it would have to become a situation where Ryan Fitzpatrick was not coming back. And at this point, that is a the- toxic quarterback room. Let me tell you, you go to Fitz and Cam. Whoa. Yeah. So I, I think that that, that would have to be the other element in play beyond just Heineke struggling. I think that, yeah, it would have to suddenly become a season ending situation for Fitz rather than just a six to eight week situation. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm on the same page. I just, I don't know what's going to happen with them, but it's, it's yeah. definitely interesting. It's definitely crazy to think like, you know, five, six years ago, this guy was a unanimous MVP. They're 15 and one. They don't, he doesn't recover that fumble. And the rest is kind yeah. of went downhill from there. A couple other kind of storylines stood out for me, the quarterback perspective, NFL perspective. Um, the Packers were, I almost kind of feel like they have one of these stinkers every single year, the last three <laughs> or four years where there's the Tampa game last year and Rogers just missed, must be playing in Florida. Um, <laughs> Are you concerned at all? I've seen people be like, they should have traded them already. Like this was like revisionist history or some people are like, they're still going to win the Super Bowl. Where do you kind of fall within that? Because it's a pretty big deal if Aaron Rodgers, who was the best player in football last year, you know, all of a sudden doesn't have it anymore, which I don't think so. I'm just saying that's people already talking about that. I'm not that concerned about it. It it goes back similarly to, to what we were talking about with the Bills and Titans. I think that you know, this could just look like a one-week blip by the end of the season. Um, it is interesting, though, because, you know, Aaron Rodgers skips the, you know, the June workouts and everything, comes back for training camp, airs a bunch of dirty laundry. So it's it's tough to completely overlook all of that, to just put all of that on the back burner and you're like, oh, yeah, that means nothing. You know, all that stuff happened and then they got blown out in week one by a team that was, you know, missing half of its roster, like some of its, its best players. So uh, it's certainly something to, you know, have on the back burner to, to look at moving forward. Ultimately, I think they'll be fine. I think that Aaron Rodgers will rebound. I think he'll look like himself again. It, I think they'll wind up being one of those situations like, you know, Tom Brady in 2014, when he struggled against the Chiefs, that he's going to rebound and be himself again. Uh, but like I said, you can't overlook everything that happened this offseason because as much as everyone moved past it, it, it was kind of ugly there for, for a day or two there in Green Bay. 
it's one of those things that like I love Aaron Rodgers. I'm like kind of I guess I'm sometimes I let the moments where he's definitely very condescending or whatever the right <laughs> term is like kind of it doesn't bother me. But at the same time, I can see if you're not a Rodgers fan or you're in that locker room and you're like, yeah, like what I don't I'm not a fan of what's going on here. I can definitely see that you know taking some people off. Uh, a couple of quick notes here. Or how concerned should Giants fans be? Because, look, I, I saw a stat today that I couldn't believe was true. It said since 2017, every single other team's had a winning record but the Giants at any point during the season. That I, I don't know how that's even possible. Um, they kind of feel like they're in the Jets situation from from a year ago, but they don't have the same draft capital upcoming and like all these contracts falling off. Are the Giants in trouble, or is it a tweak one again? Like they still have time to figure this thing out because the NFC East is a mess. This is kind of tough to say since we are we are talking before the Thursday night game tonight. So like maybe Daniel Jones makes me look like a complete moron, but I'm just not I'm not I'm not sold even halfway on Daniel Jones. And I know that you know his PFF grade last season was better than his raw stats indicate. Uh, he was dealt a raw hand with the offensive line, losing Saquon, offensive weapons, all of that uh, didn't play in his favor. But I was at three different Giants practices this summer, one in New York. Uh, two in New England, and he just lacks splashy plays. And even, you know, like I said, with, with Zach Wilson watching him, he's not a guy who lacks splashy plays. He's a guy who, you know, has those moments that really stand out. Uh, Trevor Lawrence, I didn't think was that great uh, in week one for the Jaguars. But once again, he makes some of those splashy plays that you expect out of a guy who can be a franchise quarterback. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that's been lacking about Daniel Jones is that he's been unspectacular but also hasn't been like that chad pennington guy who can you know be like unspectacular but still help you win games and, and be a consistent quarterback so i think that that's what i still need to see out of daniel jones i think that joe judge is is a good head coach i think he's got the potential to be a good head coach i think he's running things there in new york the right way i know that they had all those retirements and everything this offseason uh, but everything that i heard with that was basically just that they were signing guys on the brink of retirement and they just, they all went the wrong way, essentially. Um, so I don't know. I still have faith that the giants can rebound. Eventually. I'm just not convinced that it's going to happen with Daniel Jones at quarterback. They might need to, you know, move on from the GM, move on from the quarterback and then move forward with Joe judge, uh, you know, in 2022 and beyond, depending on how this season goes for them. I'm not going to get speculated on any more Deshaun Watson stuff just for the time being, but he's their team that, if things legally work themselves out, I would assume that would be a team that should be involved with the amount of capital they have, um, you know, from a draft perspective. Two, last two Jets-Patriots things before we wrap here. One, having covered the Patriots for a long time, obviously, you know, from a national basis now, but obviously, mm -hmm. do you have any Jets-Patriots moments that stand out, excluding 2001? Is there anything that stands out to you? Like, they've played some ugly games over the years. They play some really, really good games. And for some reason, the Jets and Patriots always play each other pretty tough, uh, minus a few times. Any moments that stick out to you in the rivalry of, oh, that game was awesome. I can't believe I got to cover that one. I think one. it might have been the first road game I ever covered was the one in 2013 when the Patriots defensive tackle Chris Jones got penalized on a on a field goal block or whatever it was in like the final moment of the game. And the Jets wound up pulling it off. And that's definitely one that stands out just because it was, you know, a game that was, like I said, I, I like traveled to New York for that one. I think it was in 2013, like I said, and um, just the, 
the moment in the locker room, everyone was just so bummed because the Patriots were so close to winning that game. Uh, and then that penalty at the end really screwed them. But um, I didn't cover this game, but obviously the, the butt fumble game is one that Patriots fans talk about a lot, but the, the seeing ghosts one, I know that that was a, that's a rough moment for Jets fans, but that was just a, a pretty unbelievable moment. I thought that it was also unfair. I forgot who's broadcasting that game. Was it ESPN? ESPN, that a Monday yeah. Night game? yeah. It was a Monday night game. Just that they aired, you know, Sam I can't Robert. believe they aired that. NFL yeah. films let them air that. Because, you know, we, we wouldn't be talking about it right now if they didn't air that. We would have never known about it. But the Patriots defensive backs after that game were just elated with their performance. I think that they were on another level on that game because they knew that they were facing a young quarterback. They knew that they could disguise coverages. They knew exactly what they had to do. And that's why they were so dominant. I almost, you know, it's less about Sam Darnold's performance, I think in that game and more about what Bill Belichick had built with a veteran defensive back core. That's when they still had, you know, Daron Harmon back there, Stephon Gilmore, Devin McCourty, all these guys were just really smart players. And when you can do that against a rookie quarterback, that's the type of performance that that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, off the top of my head, I'm so bad at remembering individual games for some reason, but I'd say that those two are the ones that really stand out in my mind. I think, yeah, both of those happen in MetLife too. So Yeah. Those, yeah. Uh, that game, that game was tough. Just, I felt like it was weird of NFL films that they aired that. And it's not just cause I like, I'm like, I was a huge Sam guy, but I felt like they wouldn't air that if it was a, a different situation. I feel like that's the stuff they try to protect these guys from because it kind of for ruins sure. their brand. Jets Patriots games for me to stick out. There's some good Jets moments. Obviously, the 2010, uh, you know, AFC divisional round game with San Antonio oh, Holmes catches, obviously awesome. The Decker uh, won in overtime in 2015. There's also been some bad ones. The butt fumble ones probably went the lowest moment. Uh, the game in 2010, too, that sticks out to me is that is the blowout on Monday Night Football that they buried the they buried the football, buried the tape, and the fact that they came back and won. It's just there's no way you watch that game and you're like, the Jets are going to win this game. So. Right. Um, those definitely stick out. Quick, get you get a prediction from you. Um, do you have a uh, prediction? Either go score or whoever covers uh, covers the five and a half. Um, <laughs> that's so tough. I think that I think it's going to be a low scoring game. So I'd probably take the under in this game. Um, and I might take the Jets with the points at five and a half. I do think the Patriots win, but I could definitely see this being you know a field goal game. I think that you know, as long as they are going to be playing it relatively safe with Mac Jones at quarterback and, uh, you know, before they really fully unleash him, I think these are going to be pretty low scoring games for the Patriots where they're going to have to grind them out a little bit. So, um, yeah, I'd say the Patriots will probably win by like three or four points, but that the Jets will, will cover. So yeah, I I was, I was thinking similar thing, like a 20 to 17, a 23, 17, maybe the Patriots kind of backdoor cover there. Last, uh, last quick thing before you wrap, obviously make sure to catch um, catch Doug, Brad, and, uh, and Ari on their, you know, live Q&A. Um, I, actually, I tune in all the time. I was mentioning Doug off there. I, I really enjoy you kind of get a wrap around the NFL for from sure. guys who are pretty Appreciate plugged that. in and stuff like that. Last thing I saw today, Brady mentioned, you know, the possibility of playing <laughs> the 50 is not out of the question. Is this guy serious? Like, I think he is. He's I, like likable now. I enjoy watching Brady. It sucks. He's like it very is fun to watch. He's, he's really kind of let himself be a little bit looser in Tampa Bay. And it has made him, you know, even like, even from my perspective, covering him, I'm from new England. Um, I like Tom Brady as a human being, but there were definitely moments where, you know, he would be so guarded that it made it difficult to cover him. I think that 
Um, there were definitely moments where I think that he was almost even a little bit unfair to the media, but I think that a lot of that was just coming from the Patriots perspective and he has opened up so much more. I think I legitimately think Tom Brady looks at this as his job. Like he looks at football the same way that an attorney looks at being a, a lawyer, or like, or I look at being a reporter and like, I don't plan on retiring when I'm 50 years or when I'm 44 years old or whatever it is. I think that that's literally how Tom Brady looks at it is that like, I've chosen, this as my career. I will play as long as I, as I can. Like there's nothing at this point dissuading him from playing football or keeping on, you know, playing and everything like that. I think he's got it a lot more comfortable in Tampa Bay. Um, so as long as he keeps playing well, and as long as he's on a winning team and as long as Giselle's happy and the family's happy, I think he's just going to keep playing. And I think that at this point, he's like back on like a an upward trajectory with his career. So yeah, I think that he's looking five years down the road saying, Hey, if I play up and up and up and then drop back, back down a little bit, I'll still be really good when I'm 50. So as crazy as it sounds, I think that it, I think he's for real about it. And it's not the same as playing wide receiver. It's not the same as playing, you know, linebacker or fullback or any of these things. Like, you look at pitchers in, in Major League Baseball, Jamie Moyer played until he was like 48 or 49. Like Charlie Leo Franco. Was, you know, was throwing knuckleballs until he was like 48. So like arm ability can sustain up until a certain age. And I think that that's the way that Tom Brady looks at it. Yeah, there's certain guys that you look at like Breeze, the difference, and he just kind of hadn't paid and fell off a cliff. But I don't think they were – like Tom looks better than he looked three or four years ago. Like after that Titans game, I was like, he's done. Right. I, and and then he looked so much better as the year went on he looks healthier and all these different things but obviously really appreciate you coming on you know obviously Doug mentioned that the Jets butt fumble game is his favorite game of all time and the Jets are going to lose by 40 <laughs> now just kidding but um you know hopefully we get a competitive game and, and Wilson and Mac Jones kind of duel it out a bunch this year I think that'll be really good for the uh the AFC East with you know Josh Allen's the veteran and with at 25 which is nuts and I don't I can't remember the AFC East being this this many young quarterbacks that people actually rate highly i think two is the guy that gets talked about the least right. but it's a whole other discussion but no obviously uh you know we'll uh, appreciate having you on we'll have to have it on again and uh you know continue the, the great work over at pff and uh you know love uh, love listening to you you know do your thing i appreciate it. well thanks for having me on anytime